Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, author of Epic Fantasy Romance. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. I am also here with a kitten who is looking very interested in the wind chimes. So if you see them get attacked, if you're on video, that's what's going on. Right now he's just craning his head up looking at them, but it's a matter of time. <laughs> All right, today is, say it with me, Friday, woohoo! Kitten also likes finger flutterings. It's Friday, January 6th, 2023. Uh, we have completed our first um, at least five-day week, work week of 2023. And uh, yeah, it's been a good one for me. Hope it's been a good one for all of you. So um, yes, I love getting messages from you all. Uh, I got an email from a gal named Kathy who said that she listens to the podcast out of, um, who's a reader, um, out of Bookish Nerdery. I should see what, uh, grab her email here because it, it was a uh, Delightful. Thank you, Kathy, for writing. She, yeah, she says uh, she enjoys hearing about author behind the scenes just out of nerdery, which I think is awesome. And she is part of a book club, Romance Lovers Book Club, and discovered uh, my books through one uh, because she read The Mark of the Tala along with a Mercedes Lackey fantasy romance book. So that was just, um, well, if Long-time listeners will know that I am a um, huge fan of Mercedes Lackey. I have an entire shelf up there of Mercedes. So that made me happy in all kinds of ways, Kathy. Thank you for reaching out, and I will check out the book club. They have a Zoom book club. Um, and you know what? I should... Uh, I, I was thinking I should include it in the show notes. Hold on a moment. I know I don't have to tell you to hold on. We're just pausing. Okay, she sent me a, a link to the Romance Book Club, um, and it looks like it's a public meetup link. And from what she says, that's even though it's sponsored through the local library, it does not have to be. Uh, you do not have to live in the county or anything. So I will. I'll put that in the show notes. Um, it looks like there's like 840 members of the book club. So wouldn't that be fun? I was also uh, yesterday when I went to write her coffee. Uh, I forgot to check that in the transcript yesterday. Apologies if it came across as writer, my Western drawl. Uh, and I was reminded that my friend Jim Sorensen has been running a book club for like 10 years and that they have been meeting on Zoom because a couple of people, well, they started to because pandemic and then a couple of people moved away. So anyway, I might start attending his. Um, I did get the sample of the book that is um that is this week's pick it's a momentary gripe uh it's a tour.com novella and it's 10.99 for 150 pages and it just sticks in my craw people um you know when i'm charging 4.99 for a lot of my books and i have considered bumping up the price some but i also have been rereading one of my favorite books of all time the Forgotten Beasts of Eld by Patricia McKillop. It was on my mind. I was thinking of a couple of metaphors about Cybele and that story. I do think it's one of the most brilliant 
fantasy stories ever written. Um, fuck Tolkien. <laughs> no, that's that's fine. I was talking with a, a male friend of mine the other day whose like favorite, favorite thing is the Fellowship of, of the Rings. And, you know, it was his favorite of the books and of the movies. And he said that, like, when the movie came out, he went and saw it, like, four times, just over and over. And and I appreciate that level of fandom. But I asked him if he'd ever read The Forgotten Beasts of Eld, and of course he hasn't. Um, so it's just a thing. Anyway, I've been doing a reread of my um, very tattered copy, copyright 1974. Um I probably bought it in 76, hard to say from like, actually, I think it's, I bought it from a used bookstore. It's, it's got the stamp in it with the used bookstore. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go grab my copy and show you all for those who are on video. Hold on. All right. So if you're on video, here's my very tattered copy. Uh, you will see that the cover has come off, which makes for a handy bookmark <laughs> you take it off and put it inside uh, and then here is my inside cover it says the book rack thousands of used paperbacks by half price or trade two for two i did that a lot in back in the day um, and it's got the address here 1930 south havana in denver for those of you who know the Denver area. Um, I used to walk to that bookstore from my house. And yeah, 1974 Avon Books. And uh, I had a point. Why was I talking about this? I'm doing the reread and hmm. yeah, I don't know. I don't know what made me think of that. But maybe the thought will come back to me. I apologize for that. Uh, so anyway, um, yeah, I've been really enjoying this reread and immersing myself in the beauty of this story. And the prose, uh, it's just got, and it's it's got the best opening chapter ever written, I think, in many ways. Um, yeah. I'm going to read you the opening something just because I can. I would say you're a captive audience, but you always have the option to tap out. The wizard healed coupled with a poor woman once in the king's city of Mondor, and she bore a son with one green eye and one black eye. Healed, who had two eyes as black as the black marshes of Furbog, came and went like a wind out of the woman's life. But the child Mick stayed in Mondor until he was 15. Big-shouldered and strong, he was apprenticed to a smith, and men who came to have their carts mended or horses shod were inclined to curse his slowness and his sullenness until something would stir in him, sluggish as a marsh beast waking beneath murk. Then he would turn his head and look at them out of his black eye, and they would fall silent, shift away from him. There was a streak of wizardry in him, like the streak of fire in damp, smoldering wood. He spoke rarely to men with his brief, rough voice, but when he touched a horse, a hungry dog, or a dove in a cage on market days, the fire would surface in his black eye, 
and his voice would run sweet as the daydreaming voice of the Slinoon River. Isn't that fucking brilliant? And I remembered why I was talking about this, that, you know, it's hard to read on paper. And one thing that's charming is, I, I wanted to share this with you all, because I, I never noticed it before. I didn't notice it at the time. Look how poorly it's printed. It's offset badly, and it's actually slightly crooked, <laughs> at least at the beginning. Um, this is like the cheapest, cheapest printing. But anyway, this morning I looked at it on Amazon because I thought, well, maybe I should just get the digital version and read it on my Kindle. $10.99. $10.99, Avon, which is now part of, is it HarperCollins? No, it's not HarperCollins. Hachette? Anyway, do we care? Uh, yeah, those prices, they just love to try to make all their money on the ebook prices and then they don't count it, right, for author sales. They don't count ebook sales, they only count print sales. So it's like they're getting this huge profit margin <laughs> that's kind of like under the table. We won't rant about that today. We have other things to rant about. Um, very exciting. So yesterday I mentioned the... Uh, um, the gossip that Dorinda Jones sent me as I was doing the podcast and I can give you all, I'm not going to list this woman's name because I feel like she doesn't deserve more, even more publicity than she's gotten. But anyway, there's this woman that they, it's been picked up by like Rolling Stone and these various other, you know, big magazines and stuff. Uh, and they call her a romance writer. And I'm going to caveat this from the beginning because, yes, she is a romance writer. She does write romance. But I looked up her books on Amazon and, like, the one that's been out for the longest has 54 reviews. And they're, like, four stars. Um, most of her books have, like, five or 13. I mean, this is not um, someone who is... I don't know. She's not burning up the charts, people. And this was before she committed suicide. And no, I didn't content warning that because she didn't, is the TLDR. Um, so in 2020, her daughter, October 23rd, 2020, her daughter apparently went onto her Facebook group and said, that her mother had committed suicide and would everyone support the books and <laughs> now the other day she turned up on her facebook group again and said well i don't know how to tell everyone this i've been really thinking about it hard but i didn't actually commit suicide <laughs> kid you not people um i don't know if i can find this post Okay, um, I should probably pause, but I'm just looking. Okay, so this is what she posts. She says, I debated on how to do this a million times and still not sure if it's right or not. There's going to be tons of questions and a lot of people leaving the group, I guess. But my family did what they thought was best for me and I can't fault them for it. I almost died again at my own hand, and they had to go through all that hell again. Returning here doesn't mean that much, but I'm in a good place now, and I'm hoping to write again and let the fun begin. Let the fun begin, people. 
so she's um there's a lot of crazy out in the world people and she's apparently been writing over the ensuing years with various different identities and contributing to the former Facebook group of her suicide itself. And yeah, so I, yeah, I'm not going to give the name because clearly this is like an attention thing and she's not the first to have done this to try to use personal tragedy to manipulate book sales. It's just, it's all much, you know, the five colors blind the eye, right? Trying to get rich ties people in knots. And certainly there are people who are able to do it without losing their minds. But, or not, <laughs> I think that, um, you know, Every moment that you spend chasing money, chasing attention, chasing something that isn't about, about your heart fulfilling yourself, uh, maybe you give up just a little piece of sanity, give up a little piece of happiness, and people end up doing this kind of thing. So anyway, that was, that was yesterday's gossip, and it's interesting, but we're also not going to give it any more attention than, than that. Um, something else I wanted to share, and I'll probably share this on uh, social media because I kind of want to hear what people say. I got a BookBub uh, review recommendation from a reader for one of my older books, which was kind of fun. Um, it was, you know, recommended and rated, which is always nice for people to do. And it's the tears of the rose. So it's interesting after Kathy, uh, emailed to say that she discovered me through the Mark of Atala and her book group, the tears of the rose is then the sequel to that book. So it's kind of old home week here. Uh, so it was fun to see a review for the tears of the rose and she, she gave it four stars. Yeah. Okay. Great. And she said that she, uh, <laughs> I, it's funny how she wrote this out. And, and I see now that she's also an author. So that's going to contribute that she says, um, what she liked and she has five points that she liked. Um, she says Kennedy took real chances by creating a plot specifically for Amelia instead of reusing the plot she had used in the first book. Um, yeah. Okay. I mean, which is great but it also feels a little bit like faint praise because it's like good on you for not reusing the same plot. It's, I don't, I'm not, I don't reuse plots. I, I'm not sure I would be capable of it. Each book writes itself differently. Um, she thought Amelia's grief was well done. Writing in spots is really lovely. Always fun to watch a character develop and recognize her agency, strong women and the supporting cast. Uh, Transition of Amelia's attention from, uh, well, I mean, it's kind of funny, but it shows her growth arc. Uh, and she says, what kept it from being a five-star read? We're, we're dying to know, right? Some of the points were a little too obvious. And once Amelia decided to have agency, it came a bit too easily and she had nothing but success. No one likes a Mary Sue. 
no one likes Mary Sue. Um, so for those of you who do not know, and I feel like most of you will, but you know, just in case, I'm, my mother won't, so and she always listens. Um, the Mary Sue is a character that is almost exclusively female. They've come up with like male versions of it, but we all know this originated with females, that the uh, Mary Sue is, I'm grabbing the definition from TV tropes because I think they, they usually get stuff right. Uh, TVtropes.org, they're great. So it says, Mary Sue is a derogatory term primarily used in fanfic circles. I don't know if that's true. To describe a particular type of character. This much everyone can agree on. What that character type is exactly differs wildly from circle to circle and often from person to person. Agree there. Um, since there's no consensus on precise definition, the best way to describe the phenomenon is by example of the kind of character pretty much everyone could agree on to be a Mary Sue. And this is interesting. These traits usually reference the character's perceived importance in the story, their physical design, and an irrelevantly overskilled or over-idealized nature. The name Mary Sue comes from the 1974 Star Trek fanfic, A Trekkie's Tale. Originally written as a parody of the standard self-insert fic of the time, the name was quickly adopted by the Star Trek fanfiction community. Its original meaning mostly held that it was an always female author avatar, regardless of character role or perceived quality. Often the characters would get in a relationship with either Kirk or Spock, turn out to have a familial bond with a crew member via half-human hybrids masquerading as a human, or die in a graceful, beautiful way to reinforce that this character was too good for this sinful earth. I love TV tropes. Um, it's always... Um, I had to pause so I could skim a bit. Okay. Um... Uh, the prototypical Mary Sue is an original female character who obviously serves as an idealized version of the author, mainly for the purpose of wish fulfillment. She's exotically beautiful, often having unusual hair or eye color, and has a similarly cool and exotic name. She's exceptionally talented in an implausibly wide variety of areas and may possess skills that are rare or non-existent in the canon setting. She also lacks any realistic or at least story-relevant character flaws. Either that or her flaws are obviously meant to be endearing. So if you've read The Tears of the Rose, Amy is not. <laughs> I mean, her flaws are not endearing. Um, in fact, everybody gets irritated with her but over her flaws. But this is a shorthand. This is a shorthand that a lot of people... I'll, I'll, I'll link to that Mary Sue thing but that people jump on anytime they feel like a character is, especially a female character, and women are usually the first to sling this particular arrow, um, you know, that she's just too perfect and wonderful. Um, are things too easy for Amy? I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> Amy spends a lot of the book being, getting in her own way, um, but she's not stupid. And she, and so when she decides to, like take control of her life and do things right. Yeah, I think she does a good job. But I'm, I was somewhat taken aback because I thought that we had, we in the community, I thought we'd kind of agreed that we weren't going to talk about the Mary Sue thing anymore um, because it is so misogynistic that, you know, here we have these decades and decades 
of male writers writing characters that are clearly wish fulfillment characters. Um, and <laughs> we, we did not criticize them for it. Right. But, you know, we have a, a female character who is um, beautiful and talented and intelligent and powerful in her circle and able to do things. We call her Mary Sue. Uh, and then my final point on this, since it's my podcast and I get to rant about it, I don't normally read reviews, but the book bub recommendations come to my email. Uh, but I don't think that Amy is in any way an avatar for myself. And that is not to say that I have not written characters that were avatars. Uh, my very first book, Rogue's Pawn, uh, people, the character has my same name. <laughs> I, she was absolutely an avatar of myself because I was too much of a newbie writer to know better. Uh, I have since learned better. Um, but yes, that I don't think she's a Mary Sue necessarily, but she was absolutely an avatar. If I were to pick characters that are wish fulfillment characters for me, which is not a question I get asked in interviews, is it? Um, I would say Andy Andromeda from Mark of the Tala. Um, I would say Zinda. Um, no, I'd have to think about who else. My more recent stuff, I've kind of gotten away from that more. But um, yeah, I, I would say definitely those two. And, and someone who knows me quite well and read The Shift of the Tide, which is Zinda's book, said that she thought that Zinda was more like me than any other character that I'd written. And I was like, well, you know, that's actually fair, which is funny because Zinda's not actually human. So I'm sure there's like psychology there. Anyway, I've gone on long today, uh, but I have many things to say. So tell me what you think about the Mary Sue thing. I will post it to social media too, so that we can discuss. Uh, I hope that you all have a wonderful Friday and a wonderful weekend and that you are back here on Monday and I will see you then. You all take care. Bye-bye.